Before we begin, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge country, acknowledge Pabanata, Papatuanuku, um, and the places that we're each coming from uh, in this conversation, Claire across, of course, and our, our guests in Aotearoa, and myself here in uh, Melbourne, acknowledging the Mayon Baluk uh, peoples with the traditional custodians of the land where I'm coming from as part of the Boomerang language group in the Eastern Kulin Nation. Of course, storytelling and businesses has been a, a significant part uh, and continues to be a significant part for First Nations community, both here in Nam and, and for Iwi across in Aotearoa, where we're gathering. So just acknowledging uh, the, those paths and the paths of our ancestors as we enter uh, this space. Okay, today we're going to be diving into a conversation around procurement. Um, it's not necessarily the most sexy topic, and yet it's super important for the way that systems change is playing out and will continue to play out. Um, in particular, the potential for procurement to enable regeneration. So the goods uh, that organisations and governments source to create diverse net benefits and, and not just, uh, you know, not just to have uh, diverse benefits for the sake of it, but really to support that regeneration of places, of communities, ecosystems, cultures, knowledge systems, and of course, uh, our economy. Just before we jumped on, I uh, did a little bit of research and, and it was interesting to put this conversation in context. So uh, looking at the Australian government's um, website, you see in, in the financial year of 2020, 2021, there were over 80,000 contracts that were on the government's uh, Austender page and a value of around or almost 70 billion Australian dollars. Um, step across the ditch and in New Zealand, Aotearoa, the government um, published in May 2021 uh, that the spend for government procurement is around 50 billion New Zealand dollars or approximately 20% of GDP and that is rising. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, a pocket, pocket change here. These are significant flows of resources that shape our societies and shape our economies. So it's going to be awesome to uh, welcome our, our guest in Dr. Sean Barnes, who is the Director of Social Procurement at uh, Kena, and also uh, Jazz Kadia, who is the Principal Procurement Specialist at the New Zealand Government Procurement. Welcome to you both. It's awesome to have you here and, and to be diving in um, to this, this area. Uh, I guess as a way of kicking off, Jazz, I might pass to you. Would you be able to just introduce yourself a little more and, and talk about your work? Yeah, sure, Matt. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to begin with a short pepeha. So, kia tato, kotangi te keo te moanga, ko Pacific te awa, no te whanganui atara aho, ko jazz Welcome everyone, greetings. Victoria is my mountain, Pacific is my water source. I am from Wellington and Jaskadir is my name. I would also like to acknowledge um, that the mountain water source and land have sheltered and provided for me while I'm here in Wellington and I do not claim any ancestral relationship to them. In terms of my ancestral relationship, I'm of uh, Indian Muslim origin. So namaste and assalamualaikum to everyone. And in terms of my background, Matt's already mentioned it. Uh, I'm the principal procurement specialist at NZ Government Procurement. Um, government procurement mainly sets the functional landscape or the leadership landscape for how procurement activity is carried out in New Zealand. Uh, looks across a wide range of activities from skills, capability building to management of all of government contracts that leverage 
uh, collective buying, collective savings for government agencies. And for the purposes of this podcast here, I'm going to expand that a little bit. And I'm here in the capacity of public servant, uh, who has also just completed a doctoral study on regenerative development. And that's me. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Passing across to you, Sean. Uh, kia ora. Uh, ko rua pehu timonga, ko whanganui te awa no wanaka te roto ke o tūtahi toku kainua nai nei, ko Sean Barnes toku ingoa. Um, kia ora. I'm, yeah, Sean Barnes, Director of Social Procurement at the Akina Foundation. Uh, also, an acknowledgement of country to our First Nations leaders, past, present and future. Um, also have roots in Australia. Um, and um, straddle the, the Tasman, which is great. And um, my background is as a professional engineer is where I started my, my professional um, career and kind of went on a torturous path of meandering into sustainability and, and then into the world of uh, social enterprise with Arkina in our early days. And more recently, I've um, focused on social procurement and become a real um, advocate. And I would say that procurement is sexy, Matt, um, we'll, we'll prove that to you. Um, it's, a, it's a perception and, and a really important lever. Um, what drives me is, um, you know, making a positive difference to the world and people around me. That's really why I get up every day. And um, I did, in some respects, stumble into procurement a little bit. But um, the work that we've been doing is to really grow social procurement and sustainable procurement and help organisations to do that better and um, and particularly not just the organizations, but the people who are involved in it and helping, you know, to grow that acumen and, and just show that there is a way of making this change. And, um, and procurement as a lever, um, as, you, as you noted, in terms of spend and things is, is a really important one. So I've really, it's something I've become deeply fascinated by. It's got lots of different strands, which we'll explore. So yeah, that's what about me. Thank you both. Thank you both. And I guess let's let's start with some of those foundational uh, strands, just to kind of get a little bit of a sense of the lay of the the land, because uh, not all of these phrases are are familiar to everyone, and and this is a space that you know my, myself I'm learning in. So it's good just to get I guess a little bit of a 101. So we've got phrases like social procurement, sustainable diversity, these types of things. Um, and what I love about this conversation is that we've got a government as well as a, you know, a, a private um, sector um, voices. And so it'd be nice to hear both perspectives. So, Jazz, do you want to just provide a little bit of scene setting for uh, a couple of those key terms and phrases that might pop up in this conversation, please? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so social procurement, sustainable procurement, supplier diversity, um, from the government perspective and, and from where I am at this, in the system at this point, they all to a larger degree um, look towards similar outcomes, which is for the taxpayers' dollars invested, what are the outcomes that are coming out and what are the outcomes that are being met by communities that, has, that over history or over a long period of time have experienced marginalized or lesser outcomes. Um, and how do we support that? How do we sustain that and make sure that through the funding, finance, uh, procurement activities that are carried out through uh, government investments, uh, that more of the business, more of the activity goes towards small, you, you can call it small, medium enterprises, you can call, call it Maori Pacifica businesses, but there's a range of businesses that fall within that supplier diversity space 
which also includes Rainbow Community, which also includes groups with accessibility needs, uh, people living prison centers, youth with uh, vulnerability. Um, so how do you actually create an ecosystem that supports these groups, uh, enables their growth of skills and capability, and in the long term sustains uh, good outcomes for them? Um, and it's really bringing that into the context of procurement, making sure that these outcomes are mapped out, um, objectives indicators are added in, uh, and procurement uh, funding goes towards these groups. So that's that's mainly the, the idea behind this. And for me, from the outcome side of things, they, to a large degree, mean the same thing, or they're trying to enable similar outcomes. Um, and we keen to know more what Sean thinks about this. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah, it's always good to um, uh, to think about what's procurement about as well, because I think that's really misunderstood and I always like starting there. So yeah. if you think of procurement as the process to acquire goods, services and works, so the, the process of getting something that you need, um, we, I mean, we all as individuals kind of do procurement when we walk into a supermarket to buy food. We make decisions. We, we've got, um, you know, criteria that we use to make decisions. But there's a whole process there and, and procurement quite often gets um, caught up as just thinking about it as a buying something. It's, but it's a bit more than that. It's actually thinking about if, you, if we use the supermarket example, it's the, oh, I've got a recipe and I need to go and get an ingredient. And then I've got choices, haven't I, in terms of what I go and buy, like do I buy tomatoes that are locally sourced or uh, from Italy or and I've got price points and and it's about bringing um, it's the whole process of from the point of a need through to how am I going to find the thing that I need through to finding the thing that you need which is quite often the bit that people see in procurement is the tender asking for something and then all the way through to managing the contract at the back end and there's a whole suite of things that procurement's meant to cover um, that that is quite often invisible to a lot of people. So, um, and then social procurement slash sustainable, it gets used interchangeably is about how do you bring positive um, outcomes into that? So how do you use that process to drive as many positive outcomes as you possibly can? Um, as Jazz was saying, you know, for there's a number of different angles, um, but that's that's a role for everybody. And there's, and there's different tactics and ways of doing that, which is where it starts to, become a little bit murkier but um you know jazz mentioned you know like using different kinds of suppliers and that's a supplier diversity play but ultimately everyone can deliver some kind of positive change um in procurement so hopefully that helps untangle it if, if not ask ask more questions Matt. <laughs> there's another point probably i would like to add to that and and using sean's analogy of um what's what's how do we actually select what's really good for us right and what i usually like to go back to keep it in really simple terms is is about health so when we go to a supermarket and we, when we buy things it's really about what's really good for us what's good for our health what's good yeah, for good our point. children our families um, and what are we choosing to invest in them mm. it's it's the same thinking it's the same rationale that gets applied to when um, taxpayer money is being used for procuring or buying services is what really is going to go back into the health of the place, into the health of these communities, um, into sustaining them for the long term, skills, capability, development, uh, business opportunities, and over time, to a degree where these communities can start becoming self-resilient and, and taking care of themselves. So um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the health angle of it as well. Um, 
that that is usually useful in, in thinking about how we choose to buy things yeah, this is a great foundation setting. And in a moment, I will we'll dive into how these can enable regeneration, perhaps actually with an example or two from each of you would be really good just to kind of see, okay, from the, if we track, track a process or we, we zoom into some outcomes of a particular initiative that you've been involved with just to, to spotlight that. But, at, you know, uh, last night I went to um, to get some food. And so my first procurement <laughs> strategy was I'm going to go to the local farm gate and I'm going to get as much as I can buy from there um, and they are great in that they also bundle some local organic you know produce so that's kind of something that I'll consciously look out for and then there's also another local independent grocer that I'll go to it but there was this moment which often happens and uh, I think it just shows the relationship between Australia and New Zealand where I was standing in front of, of the, the dairy um, fridge and I was looking at cheeses. And so you're looking at and you see some New Zealand branded cheeses and some Australian branded mm -hmm. cheeses and you're like, and you you're looking at cost, you're looking at, you know, what the product is. There has been an or organic cheese from New Zealand that has been stocked in the past. That's no longer available there, which is interesting. But you're weighing up all of these considerations mm. and you're like, okay, so the New Zealand cheese is the same or even less price or more price, but it's had to fly across the ditch to here mm. to get to us. So then you start looking at, you know, carbon impact and all of these other things. And so what I think would be fun to, to look at now is, you know, and, and Jazz, I love the point around the well-being uh, and the health because New Zealand's leadership in the well-being budget space is very fr front of mind. It's something that we've talked about on this podcast before. So um, I'm really curious to hear a couple of examples of how procurement can enable um, regeneration and those flow-on benefits and even hinting at maybe how you measure those benefits as well. <laughs> nice. It's interesting. I just want to pick up on what you just said there, Matt. Is um, there's a soup of things as you as you've quite rightly alluded to. Like, I mean, I hope you weren't standing in front of that fridge for an hour um, no, all these things up. I get paralysis every <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> but I mean, the, um, it, it comes back to like what's valued in procurement, and um, and you you touched on a few things. Like when 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 an organisation's buying something, they have a need. Like that's that's the primary thing. They need something. They need a product. They need something done. You 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 want something that fits that, don't you? Obviously. And in price and quality and risk are things that organisations have to take account of. And and I guess what what we're talking about here is what else can be valued in that transaction, like environmental, social, cultural, economic. You know, to an extent as well is like how much value can you build into that? And Jazz talked about public value as a government driver and I think it's the same for organizations you know um it's it's the same thing it's like what value and the lens that's been applied in procurement up until you know recent I guess the last decade and to some extent we're starting to see it really hit the ground now is like how do you bring other things into that value equation and to your point track it all the way through and see what happens so that's uh, that's yeah, it's just a good point of clarity, I think, for people to think about. It's like you don't need to, you don't need to get it hundred percent right every single time. What is that? Who knows? But it's just about how do you keep pushing to increase the value of what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. 
Totally. Jazz, do you want to jump in and, and share perhaps an example that comes comes to mind that unpacks these, these issues? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, look, in terms of what, what regeneration means, um, for me personally, having gone through my doctoral study, it, it basically just, it falls into two areas for me. One is systems thinking. What are we exactly trying, and, and exactly what you're trying to do there with, with cheese, Matt? Uh, trying to map the whole logistic system of, of how, how did the cheese get here, right? Um, it's really about thinking about your outcomes, about investment as a system, um, identifying where do the boundaries lie and what is pragmatically possible within uh, the system boundaries at this point in time and how far can you push that boundary into the future? So that's that's part of the thinking. The other part of it is how do we then start to bring in um, economic, social, cultural, and environmental outcomes um, through the dollars or, or through the through the money that's invested. Um, a really good example that comes to mind is um, this one um, nonprofit organization that's doing some fantastic work in in Auckland around bringing in people who are leaving prison centers, uh, creating jobs for them through construction work. Uh, and over time, creating some sort of certification programs, so then they can start to have uh, career progression within the construction space. So this includes uh, land works, this includes uh, digging, this also includes planting works, nursery. Um, so you start to envelop uh, commercial outcomes along with social, cultural outcomes and environmental outcomes. And the idea for them mainly is, uh, if these people regress back into the activities for which they went into the prisons, that's going to cost uh, the government, the taxpayer a lot more than what it would cost them to keep them in jobs, to create career progression, to take them on the journey. And in, in long-term creating that sort of uh, well-being for their families as well. So when, when I talk about well-being, it includes financial, economic, long-term intergenerational outcomes, right? So kind of breaking the norm and resetting the paradigm for these people. Um, and that's what this nonprofit organization is invested in. But if you look at the larger philosophy of how they're taking away the cost from them going back into the system by, by actually creating jobs and skill sets and career progressions, that then starts to add positive outcomes back into, um, into what comes back to the government, into, into the outcomes that are lived by the general in, uh, by the public in general. Uh, and also by the outcomes that are sustained by these families. And that to me is a really, really good, uh, robust example of how regeneration could work, works in real time, but also could start to push the boundaries in terms of how we can start to think in the long term and in the bigger spectrum about how taxpayer money is invested and where do we want to drive these outcomes. The challenge here is, um, the moment you start thinking about a system, it starts to go simply beyond the silo that you're working in. And procurement is, is a real siloed function. So you start, you actually have to start to go upstream and open up the boundaries, which means you start to engage with other sectors, other government departments, other decision makers, uh, other people in the supply chain or other organizations in the supply chain that actually make decisions, which means there is ambiguity in terms of how risk is allocated. There is ambiguity in terms of who does what, uh, who funds what, who drives the outcomes, and who in the end is accountable for tracking, measuring, and making sure that the decisions that were made in, to start with, say in the business cases, um, are actually being delivered. So 
that's where the challenge is. And that's where I think as we go upstream in the system thinking, especially in the regeneration mindset, is to open up the thinking, think more broadly when business cases are developed as to where does this actually need to land? What outcomes are we trying to achieve here? How do we tie them to tangible outputs? Uh, and who does what and who's responsible for what and how are we gonna do this? Um, so that's that's one real good example that I can, I can share at this point. Um, and, and I don't know, Sean, do you have anything more to add to this? Yeah, I guess um, yeah, it's a, it's a great example, and I'll, I'll riff off that one actually. So, so you've got this organisation there that that provides that benefit to to the the people. Um, we've always had this binary view of organisations that you know, like organisations are charities and not for profits, and they operate in that space and they're funded and they do that that important work. And then we've got businesses who are out to make money, but the reality is, and this is the, the ideas of social enterprise and, and, you know, those types of organizations is that there's a whole spectrum of organizations that fall in between. And so for an organization like jazz is just talking about, if we want more of that impact to happen, they need to get resource from somewhere and, and, and for procurement to come in and be able to create opportunities for, for this organization you know, if you take that lens of they've they've got a labor a talent pool there, and there's poten they're potentially a labor source for another business. So can another business or project or government agency start to employ and, and use this organization to bring talent into a project? Because we all know construction sector needs people, for example. Um, can they play a role there, which is not just a support person role, finding some people, but actually to trade in a project? like to be a labor company, because every big project uses a labor company, you know, could they be a different source of labor and be paid for that service like every other labor business is used? And that's where you can start to create some really interesting solutions, which is, um, you know, it's using the mechanisms of business and trade, which we already, you know, well-established and, and the processes and actually using it to drive that good if you go in with that attitude. And that's what I was just going to... Uh, pick up the the example of construction projects and and you talked about the spend um you know the, the the spend numbers are massive and we've seen it over the last couple of years when when the economies go a bit quiet um people roll into we should build some things um and you know all this money goes into big infrastructure projects and and it's and what we're seeing and especially driven in victoria and you know new south wales and now other states in australia and in new zealand is is if we're going to do these big projects, what outcomes can we drive? And it creates, uh, I like to break it into a couple of things. One is it makes the bigger companies who are the ones who typically deliver these projects think about what they can do, what outcomes can they drive? They, you know, they have a big influence around employment and training pathways and things like that that they can do themselves. But also what other organizations are out there that can participate in these projects? Um, and if you've got, organizations like social enterprises or um you know indigenous business um first nations business um maori and pacifica business in new zealand who if you use their services and products then you get good outcomes then how do we create you know access to these contract opportunities and quite often the system has not allowed that to happen so this is the, the complexity of what we're trying to um untangle here um and the other point I just wanted to make, um, you mentioned, you know, for example, in New Zealand, um, $50 billion spent by government. Um, New Zealand businesses spend $650 billion, and that includes an employment. So there's also the opportunity of the, the private sector in this. It's, um, 
to think of these things. And we see businesses have sustainability agendas um, and have not really tapped into the supply chain opportunities that they, I mean, they spend money. And great example is when you've got businesses that have a big, um, you know, like a property footprint, they have all these facilities and they need to be cleaned and they have security and they put coffee into the tea rooms and all those, the, all that spend that's sitting there and how do you reimagine that? And we're starting to see, you know, there's lots of social enterprises who kind of work in that space and can actually be the provisions for these buildings or, or um, yeah, uh, being a part of that trade and, and also giving the benefits um, uh, that, that come alongside that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting puzzle. And, and to Jazz's point, it's about stopping and having a look at where the money's going and just thinking about different ways of doing that and, and being intentional about what you're trying to drive. So for a business thinking about sustainability and with those aspirations, there's a lot of opportunities to put this into play in the supply chains and, and start it, you know, just finding some places to start is, is generally where people get caught up because <laughs> it's a, you could look at it like your like your fridge scenario Matt, where you're standing there going oh my god carbon cheese organics <laughs> where's it all come from but you need that clarity of um you know like thinking about um this in a in a you know step-by-step -step way otherwise it can just be a bit overwhelming so and then people don't start something which is where the problems <laughs> begin isn't it we're not getting anything so yeah yeah, I think this is a really good segue. Oh, Jasmine, are you going to jump in there? I'll only no, no, no. I just, I just wanted to add another point there is, um, and, and probably a good one here at this point, is, is around those organizations that provide wraparound services. Um, and previously, these have been, you could say, hidden participants in the system or haven't really been spotlighted yeah. enough through uh, funding, investment, activity. But the moment you start thinking systems and you start thinking outcomes, um, it really lands up on these organizations that are doing the wraparound services. So it could be the, and they, they work in spectrum of areas. So environmental, social, cultural outcomes, supporting skills and capability, taking over, um, you could say overhead risks from uh, organizations that are looking to start off on the ground, uh, looking to do things differently. Um, and it's really important that the system, especially upstream, recognizes these wraparound service organizations. I call them purpose-driven outcomes-driving organizations mm. um, and start to incorporate them into uh, business planning, business cases, procurement activity, uh, really start to take a deeper look at the risk that's allocated to them because usually they, they come in through a lead contractor or a lead consultant um, with a view that, it's these organizations usually that take us, that do the final home run, you know? Mm. Uh, and it's really upon uh, the investors to make sure that uh, the risk is properly allocated. They have sufficient funding in place. Um, the commercial models are set up right. And I think the commercial models do need to be rethought around that space um, in order to make sure that these organizations are sustainable in the long-term and doing what they do best, which is drive outcomes, not outputs and not talking building a road or building a house or building a hospital. I'm talking the ones that go into supporting people that support these uh, places or these outputs. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, really fascinating insights, um, Sean and Jazz. And I think a really common theme that's coming through here is Jazz, right at the start, you mentioned um, in, in the um, postgraduate 
work that you've been doing, that whole idea of systems change. Mm. And then Sean, later on, you talked about the challenge of addressing this mm. big systemic issue and taking the first steps to do that. Um, I think one slightly bendy question that I'd love to throw in the mix, and maybe we can explore this um, over the next little while, is often when we hear good examples of social procurement or sustainable procurement or supplier diversity in action, uh, we end up talking about end products, so like consumer goods and services that are expensive. Um, so thinking of things like, you know, organically grown food, locally grown food, often it's um, things that are only accessible by people with a certain amount of privilege. And I think about um, many communities I've come across in New Zealand where things like access to good supermarkets is just not there. Um, and where these this idea of being able to consume um, responsibly produced goods and services is just so out of reach that um, it, it, it's almost prohibitive. So I suppose I'd love to hear from the two of you if you have any ideas around how both businesses and also government can contribute to making um, responsibly produced goods and services more accessible to more people. And I know that's a tricky one. But, no, it's not. Uh, it's not really. And well, yeah, in some respects, it's, it's not really because the whole system at the moment is obsessed with dollars and we see this time and time again so so if if that's your if that's your metric of success then the system gets orientated around that as a metric of success and we know there's things like you know what is the true cost of like matt and his cheese it's like you don't you don't see the sorry we're going to say matt and cheese for a long time sorry <laughs> we're gonna, you're forever going to be associated with cheese matt sorry but um <laughs> This, this idea of, um, you know, if I think of it, you know, the more I've learned, the more we, you know, most people naively just see something and it's got a dollar amount in front of them. But that's not the true value of a product. We know that there's other things and you can get a really good price on a T-shirt, but you really don't know where, it, you don't want to know where it comes from and what was the, who, who the labor were, what the conditions are, um, but if you don't look at it through that lens, then it looks like you're winning, but you're not. Well, we're not winning, you know, when it's made by a child somewhere in a factory. That's not, that's not winning. And once you start to bring the visibility of that, then, then you can start to make more objective decisions. And there is an accessibility issue, absolutely. But that's been, you know, fueled by this very narrow view of what success is. And and I think it's up to, um, and this is the role of government in my mind, um, in the opportunity, is um, you know, government in from a procurement sense, there's a term, the first purchaser, because government has such an influence on the way decisions are made in countries. And that does follow through into the sectors it works with because it trades with all the big businesses and the big businesses then have to think about the way it makes decisions. But I actually think we're coming to a point now where sustainability and these kinds of considerations need to be part of decision making otherwise credibility is lost so when we've seen that with things like modern slavery and and um you know um our friends in the chocolate world and you know just presuming that no one really cares about palm oil and things like that these types of decisions are now going to cost you from a business perspective and a reputation perspective and 
yeah, I feel like the the credibility thing and the value thing is is really where that needs to go. There is a challenge around the fact that um, the reason why these things are more expensive is because people are doing it properly. And there's always that age old argument is that you're just going to ruin the sector. You've got it playing out with, you know, pork and things in New Zealand. They're going to change the ethical standards of, you know, pig farming. And, and then everyone says, well, oh, that's, that's it. We're going to ruin a whole lot of people. And, you know, yes, you've got to go into this change in a mindful way, but like, how do we want these things done? And I think as the bars lifted and, and the true cost of products comes in, then, you know, that's, that's, the reality of the world isn't it it's like once we start to understand that then you know can make better decisions so and and government and business can start they're the leaders of this you know yeah they're, they're a party to this so yeah the consumers can't be expected to fix this like you can encourage people to make good decisions and magic up more money but ultimately there's a there's a bigger play here and that's why procurement's really interesting because it's playing with large chunks of goods and services and large chunks of money and playing with the system in a, in a different way so yeah no really really good points sean and and while you were speaking up i'm thinking this is this is a big big question right i'm trying to segment it into two or three speaker points here but um it again goes back to that that angle of health that i mentioned earlier is um yes we'll be making some decisions for today but in the long term for future generations, is this the right decision to make? Mm. And I think if we start thinking more along those lines and start at having those expectations of the suppliers, of the businesses in the market as well, that yes, for today, this might be, say in the construction space, this might be a good design um, and to provide me with a sustainable, green, healthy design or regenerative design, you probably are gonna cost more. But this building is going to have a long shelf life. It's probably 50 years. So for people who will occupy this 50 years down the line, this is not really good design. Um, so we need to be working with that context and saying, okay, in that space, at that point in time, good design looks like this. And hence, it really um, is more about what best can be provided by the suppliers at this stage rather than adding those overheads and over costs. Um, so what I'm trying to actually get to is one, there are, there are various policy settings that come in place. Uh, there is the whole transparency of the whole value package that comes in, right? So we, from the government point, you have, uh, say you have the price points, then you have broader outcomes, which is improving conditions for New Zealand workers, uh, sector skills and trainings, uh, reducing carbon emissions. Um, but in the long term, it's really about creating indicators for these and saying, hey, look, for this dollar invested, these are all the different uh, value settings that you're getting out of this. And that's the journey the government has at this point is how clearly can you be transparent with the buyer, with the suppliers, the business and the market around uh, what's being procured. That's one part of it. The other part of it is around supplier relationship management, which I think should seriously be rethought to system relationship management. And also going to the point that we are from the get-go uh, Say you have a large procurement activity, buying activity coming up uh, worth billions of dollars. Um, you're starting to indicate to the market what your expectations are. So come the point of making the decision of who you're going to buy from, you are ready to walk away from the table from those suppliers that are not willing to meet these expectations. And that's okay, because this is not really about 
today's decision making. This, these are the decisions that you're going to make, be making for tomorrow and day after. So really keeping that in the context and being prepared. But before coming to that point, taking suppliers on the journey, taking the businesses on the journey, clearly indicating to them what the expectations are, how you want the market to shift based on um, the value that you want to provide for dollars invested is really important. And that's why I think supplier relationship management has a massive role to play in this uh, to a larger degree that you're not just working with suppliers of businesses, but rather with the larger system in play. And that's why I think system relationship management. So uh, there is a lot of work to be done in this space, which to a large degree comes down to what are we measuring? What are we managing? And how do we start to make it transparent to the end user? Yeah. I think on that note, Jazz, I'd be really interested to pick up um, on that point of outcomes and impact measurement. You mentioned that, you know, we need to think about changing the system. It's not just about supply management, it's about system management. And so I'm really curious, um, say if we transported ourselves forward in time to the year 2030, when we've taken action, we've managed to create a regenerative procurement system in Aotearoa, New Zealand, or maybe even the world. Um, what are those key things or those key outcomes that you think we should be seeing um, that would, you know, show that, that we'd achieved our goals when it comes to a good, impactful procurement system? Oh, I, first of all, I think what we have eight years, eight, seven and a half. Um, that, that's really a short time for a system change, right? But on that journey, come 2030, what I, what I imagine um, the government landscape to be doing is one, having a clear set of indicators and expected expectations from uh, businesses in the market. So along with the price points, these are the few indicators we have say around, where are we buying our materials from? What do the logistics of this look like? Where are the goods and services coming from? What are the conditions of the people working in those places? Uh, what does your carbon footprint look like? How much waste has been produced through this process? Um, and to a large degree, how are the people in this sector doing? Do they have good working conditions? How is their well-being? Uh, if we can have, to a large degree, that sort of transparency along with the dollars that's invested, and some would be qualitative data that would come out. But if we can start to share that with the suppliers, with the end users in the market, that I think is, is a really good place to be in. That's one part of it. The other part of it is how we do business cases, because procurement still takes on a lot of the decision-making that comes from business case planning, from pre-feasibility planning. So really opening that space up to go, okay, if we are looking to invest X amount of dollars in the space, um, what does the end-to-end -end, uh, delivery of this look like? Who are the various uh, stakeholders? What risk is being allocated? What funding is going in there? And how are we making sure that we are investing in the long-term sustainability of these businesses. So that would be that would be the other thing is that we have, we have rethought how we do our business cases, which would then flow into how we do procurement uh, as well. A personal, personal goal I would preferably wanna have is that the system has really opened up its silos. Uh, people have recognized in the system, especially in the government landscape, that it's really, really critical for us to work together, to collaborate from the onset, not when we are in delivery mode, um, and have some degree of frameworks and toolkits to enable that. That sounds like a big 
lofty change and I like it. Um, Sean, on that note, I'd love to flip the question over to you and maybe taking more of that business lens. Um, in the world of you know, social sustainable procurement, supply diversity, um, from the business perspective, what do you think good look looks like or, or what does regeneration mean to you in that context? Yeah, well, I think it's where we've um, meaningfully embedded these aspirations into you know, the procurement process. And, and just picking up on what Jazz said, procurement in many organizations is not valued as a strategic function and it should be because it can drive things from the time that's even thought about all the way through the process. And if it's done well, it can be really, um, you know, the outcomes can be really amazing. And so I think there's a, there's a challenge there where um, I think for, for, you know, if you take private sector organizations, one recognizing that the supply chain is, you know, kind of where it's at from a sustainability perspective for a lot of organizations, you know, it's, um, it's so massive and, and there's so many organizations who are realizing now that things like you know scope three carbon emissions is is the biggest thing in carbon and and people are so scared of it that they haven't gone wandering down that path yet but you know we need to make some steps into this and procurement is a massive opportunity there um, to drive the organizational strategies and then you know some of the stuff we've been talking about just being clear on what you're trying to achieve and then working with others, not, not passing it on to your suppliers, but working with your suppliers to achieve those outcomes. But that takes being really clear about where you're trying to go. Um, you know, it takes a, a degree of working with them, not just passing it on and trying to solve problems that we've, you know, and challenges and barriers that we've got that we know are there, but we don't have answers for. We need to start stepping into that, that messiness a bit. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's where procurement professionals can play a real role in this because it's about, you know, procurement as an enabling function to maximize this value and to make this thing happen. And that's what, you know, I think there's an opportunity and an obligation there on procurement to, to do that. Um, and all the other stakeholders that are involved in that and being part of that journey. So, yeah, it's walking the talk, I think, for me, is, you know, when it comes back to that, it's like we talk about the stuff the public sector has an expectation on it to do this. That's it's inherent in what the public sector is about. But I think it's inherent um, responsibility on business to stop, you know, sitting on the sidelines and pretending it's someone else's problem to solve. It's like, yeah, it, absolutely. And and walking the talk is actually doing this properly. So hopefully that's a call to arms for a few people, but <laughs> yeah, or a challenge. But that's that's really what it's about. Yeah, that's very cool to hear. And I think, um, you know, thinking of the issues um, that we're seeing businesses facing at the moment, or um, perhaps those things that are becoming more and more front of mind for businesses, a couple of things that I've been seeing is really, um, Sean, as you said, scope three emissions and the role that um, supply chains play in reducing um, the emissions of a business's um, sort of broader supply chain and, you know, what, 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 what emissions reductions they can um, attribute to their, their purchasing decisions, I think is a big one. And the other one um, coming up for New Zealand soon will be human rights and modern slavery um, with new legislation sort of um, in the pipeline for, for New Zealand. I think that will be something as well that will be a real front of mind consideration for businesses and what is strategically important in their purchasing decisions and how that will affect 
um, not only the impact that they have, but also the way that they perform as a business. So mm. all very interesting stuff. I'm conscious that we're getting to the end of our conversation. And one thing that we love to leave our listeners with is practical steps that they can take to, um, you know, help forge a path towards a more regenerative world. So question for both of you, uh, what steps do you think our listeners can take um, in order to support the transition to a regenerative system of procurement? Sean, I might start with you. Oh, such a great question. Um, whoever you are, you can do something in your context. And, and I really, you know, I really want to target, you know, especially professionals and think about what skills and influence and knowledge and, you know, power in some respects in a, in a positive sense do you have to create some change? And it's, um, you have the right and I, you know, I give you the permission, but everyone else does as well to do something about it. And, and um, it's about finding those opportunities where you are and thinking differently about the way you're doing things and do something different and just take that first step, try something, try something new, learn from it, do it again, keep doing that. That's, that's really what this is about. Yeah, awesome. And Jazz, anything to add to that? Now, beautiful points there by Sean. Um, I think, I'll, again, I'll apply the public sector lens on this a little bit. And to, to a large degree, public sector does have the reputation of being risk averse, right? Uh, and I've experienced that to a degree myself. So, um, and speaking mainly to procurement professionals, uh, people in the public sector listening, right? It's really about time to get, get comfortable um, in being uncomfortable. There is an element of risk taking that's required. Um, people call it evolution, not revolution. There is um, step change, so many different terminologies that are used for this. Uh, I would simply say, if you wish to see the change, um, and if you wish there is there is a way of world that you see, uh, then it's really upon you to to take that into your profession and and mold those steps for yourself. So uh, take take the risk. Um, be be a facilitator, be a collaborator, uh, be an encourager of great ideas, uh, consciously and deliberately work towards how you can remove barriers for any system participant you have, um, and continuously look to, uh, to take those calculated, careful risks while building capability of the people you come across. Uh, the other part of it is be really empathetic. Not everyone is uh, open to change and that's okay. Um, it's your gift that you see, um, but it's also upon you to share that gift, uh, uh, be patient, speak the language, speak, share the resources and just be patient for people to come on that journey. Uh, and that's why coming back to the first point, be really comfortable in being uh, uncomfortable. Wow, some really solid, really solid advice and guidance there from both Sean and, and Jazz. Uh, this is this has been quite quite in some ways kind of in intense, but a really inspiring uh, deep dive into procurement and its power for regeneration. I guess just unpacking a few of the themes that jumped out as we we navigated this terrain. You know, we uh, one of the things that really came through was acknowledging those hidden costs in the, you know, the profit uh, driven market and the way that when we start to un, uh, unveil the, the true cost and, and create different criteria for measuring the outcomes 
of, of goods and services that we trade, um, it actually creates and widens new, new markets. And I think what well, this is one that's, that's really important because often the tone of these conversations can be one of letting go and we shouldn't do this. And it's kind of that holding on narrative. Um, but what I think I, I love, uh, Jazz used the phrase of these purpose-driven outcome organisations um, and, and, and the future economy that they represent. We talked about the roles of government and of their capacity to set different frameworks and um, I guess including the policy landscape that can enable us to take that longer term view of future generations and our obligations to them. Uh, and also that idea of looking upstream and downstream in that system relationship management that goes beyond silos. I think that was that was really powerful. Um, so I guess, you know, uh, Sean, you, you used another phrase, valuing procurement as a strategic function and, and whether you, you're looking at or you're working in construction or whether you're looking at purchasing cheese at your local store, <laughs> these things are, are all really uh, relevant. But it comes back to what you're measuring, how you're measuring them, and the ways that you can make that transparent to your stakeholders, uh, and then the ripple effects that that has. And I, I'm, I'm going to say the job pathways that that creates, because in a lot of organisations, there probably pe aren't people that are that are measuring these things, and some there are, um, but those are the opportunities that we have to create. So uh, as a B Corp, Regeneration Project is super excited about this space, but it's super excited about the potential for social procurement, benefit corporations, benefit um, uh, type economies and the future that that holds. So on that note, thank you so much, Jazz. Uh, thank you, Sean. And uh, yeah, this has been uh, another unapologetic, unapologetically bold conversation for the Voices of Regen podcast. Stay tuned in for what happens in this next uh, series as it starts to unfold.